Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Coming up on today's show, do you use your credit card? Is that your primary mode of payment? It could cost you more starting this week. Speaking of costing more, Thanksgiving dinner, yeah, get prepared to pay more for that. We'll find out why. And in the UK, the new Prime Minister, Liz Truss, fighting for her job after only a month. Uh, Here's some, it's, well, it's bad news for the consumer. And I think it comes as a surprise to a lot of us. Uh, Very soon, new rules will take effect that will give small businesses the power to add a surcharge, if they want, on credit card transactions. As you know, probably, small businesses that use credit card services pay a small surcharge to the credit card company. Well, now they're going to be given the option of passing that on to you, and it looks like a lot of them will. To help us out with what we're hearing, uh, we have Corinne Pullman joining us, who is the Senior Vice President of National Affairs for the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Corinne, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate you joining us. Thanks for having me. So just give us the details on these new rules. They come in this week, right? Yes, actually, as of tomorrow, um, businesses will have the uh, right and ability, if they want to, to surcharge their customers who pay by credit card. How much of a charge are we talking about? Is it just them recouping the cost that normally they have to pay? Yeah, correct. They are limited to what it is that they pay for that particular credit card transaction to a maximum of 2.4%. Okay, so that can add up, depending on what it is that you're buying. Um, What do you know in terms of the surveys you've done with uh, your members? How many of them are thinking about doing this? Yeah, so we did go out a couple of weeks back knowing that this opportunity was coming up to see how much of an interest there would be. Uh, and we actually found about one in five are saying that it is something they would probably look at doing uh, at their business. Now, this is all kinds of businesses, not just the typical retail and uh, restaurant. This would include uh, businesses that work B2B, uh, business to business primarily. So it is a broad mix of sectors that would be included in that 90%. So one in five say, they, yeah, they, they think they'll do this. How many say, no, no, we're not going to do it? And, and is there a gray area where we're, we're not really sure? We'll see how it goes. Yeah, there's about 40% who said they just don't know, yeah. uh, and probably another similar amount, like 20% or so, who are saying, no, I'm not going to do it. And then the remaining amount um, are actually only going to do it if their competitors do it. So they're a bit of like waiting oh. and seeing to see who else is going to do it. And you know what? That's probably what we're going to see, right? Once some start to do it, if everybody does it, then that's just the new system that we're living in, right? That's correct. It could very well be that. Um, and part of this is because credit card fees in Canada are relatively high compared to fees globally. So it is a, it is a significant cost. And of course, through COVID, we've seen a huge transition from cash to digital, mostly credit card payments. So for a lot of businesses, they saw those costs go up. And this is the system that's always been in place, right? Like if you're, if you go anywhere, if you go into a business and you use your credit card, it costs the business a certain percentage to have that fee paid from the credit card company, right? Like they lose money on every transaction. Correct. They will have to pay uh, a certain amount and it can be very convoluted and difficult for them to know exactly what they're paying by credit card because 
the more perks a credit card has, like the points and the cashbacks and all that, the more expensive it is for the merchant to accept that card. It doesn't make it like the merchant's not getting anything from that, but the fact that their customer has a like a fancier card with more perks means that they have to pay more to accept that card. Gotcha. A lot of people are asking, has it been illegal before? It wasn't illegal necessarily, right? Was it, or was there a law against charging a credit card surcharge before? No, there was no law against it, but it, but it was part of the contract that right. they would sign with Visa and MasterCard. So it was a rule that Visa and MasterCard had in their contracts when you signed as a merchant to accept to pay uh, to accept credit cards at your business. Exactly. So if you did that and MasterCard was notified or found out about it, they could pull their service from your business. Yeah, and you wouldn't be able to accept their card anymore, which can be a big deal, obviously, for many. Yeah. Same I mean, thing with debit cards. You can't charge a, a minimum on a debit card or something. It's the same thing. The bank can take their machine back. Correct. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So rules change tomorrow, and uh, and we're anticipating that at least some businesses will probably jump in by the weekend, right? They may, but unfortunately, there's, uh, you know, these things, the credit card industry, nothing is ever easy or smooth. So there is a bit of a process <laughs> they, as a merchant, have to go through if they do want a surcharge. So um, if they have, uh, they have to still register with uh, either MasterCard or Visa. They have to let their processor or their acquirer know, you know, the guys, that's the machine itself that you actually punch the buttons on. Um, and so that they, so there's going to be at least 30 days uh, between the time they register and the time they can actually start to surcharge. So it's unlikely you're going to see anything right away. It may take a little while. We also know many of the acquirers because they have to be able to show on the receipt that what that charge is. That's okay. one of the rules if they decide to surcharge. Uh, many of the acquirers are actually not ready yet, which um, means that it could take a little bit longer. But officially, as of tomorrow, they would be allowed to, yes. Okay, that was the other question. So if a business decides to do this, they have to let the customer know. It's not going to be a buried charge. If you're the customer, you're going to know you're paying more to use your credit card before you do. Correct. They are to put up signs at their front door, buy their cash, how much they charge, and it should show up on the receipt as well. And we're going to provide all that information for any uh, business that's interested in looking at it. And certainly, again, it's totally an option. Nobody has to do this. But we just want to make sure that those that do are, are following the right rules and being transparent about it. All right. Interesting news. Thanks very much, Karina. I appreciate you giving us a walkthrough. Another Thanksgiving upon us. A lot of the things that um, haven't been available over the past few years are this year. Calgary Zoo, for example, having their Thanksgiving tradition. You head down there with your family, enjoy the food there, check out the animals. Uh, all kinds of restaurants, once again, offering delivery services and all that stuff. Uh, so it's uh, Thanksgiving just the way it was before the pandemic, if you want that. If you don't, yeah, that's your choice. We won't get into that fight. Good Lord. But no matter what, when you take a look at you know, putting together a Thanksgiving dinner this year, it's going to cost you more. I don't care what it is, where you're getting it from. That's just a simple fact of buying food in this country now. And to to help us understand what's going on and a couple of topics we're going to talk about today, we have uh, Sylvain Charlebaud joining us, professor and director of the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie University. Sylvain, thanks for your time. I appreciate you joining us. My pleasure. Hey, um, let's just break it down. Everything, right? I mean, you can't say anything is cheaper this year when it comes to a traditional Thanksgiving meal than, say, last year. Everything's more expensive, right? Pretty much, yeah. Uh, Thanksgiving is uh, no exception. Uh, your favorite bird, turkey, is uh, probably 15 16% more expensive compared to last year. Uh, that's uh, likely due to uh, the avian flu. Costing, uh, actually producing turkey uh, is 
costing more, but uh, Alberta actually was hit by the Asian flu quite a bit, so that actually has had an impact on the industry. Potatoes are up 22%. Um, filling to make your own pumpkin pie is actually up almost 30%. Really? Zero. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh, that's a bit of a shocker. Bakery, you know, your bread rolls that you love, uh, that's going to have it's 13% more. Butter that you put on your rolls is up almost 20%. So, yeah, everything people enjoy at Thanksgiving uh, is, is likely more expensive than a year ago. So if people are looking around trying to find ways to do it on the cheap, is there a way of doing that? Like, I guess you don't have to have a turkey. Is there a cheaper option that you might want to look into? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of options, to be honest. Uh, on the one side, you can always look for a larger bird. Uh, larger birds tend to be cheaper per kilo. And this year, the, the turkey industry is very good at adapting product with the market. And we are expecting a uh, larger gathering this year compared to last yeah. year. So we're all expecting more larger birds. If you want to make a deal, it's not always the case, but sometimes, sometimes... A larger bird is actually cheaper per pound. Same for uh, potatoes as well, by the way. So buy in bulk. The old uh, the old rule will pay off, especially if you got a bunch of people coming over. Exactly. But the one thing that we're hearing a lot is uh, is substitution. You know, to basically replace the bird with, uh, say, ham. Even chicken is actually cheaper for people on a tight budget. Um, what what are you seeing in terms of what's coming down the pipe for us when it comes to food prices? Is there any relief in sight, Sylvain? Uh, I mean, things are actually more predictable and calmer compared to, say, three months ago. I mean, it's not... I know that uh, media tends to look at numbers and, and, uh, and, and dr- dramatize some of the issues uh, coming from the CPI report, but in a, in a nutshell, things are actually getting better. And in fact, uh, the food inflation rate in Canada has, has somewhat peaked because uh, it's not increasing as much as it used to. So we are expecting you know, things to level off at some point, and, uh, but I don't think prices will drop anytime soon. I mean, what we're expecting is perhaps uh, increases to be lessened. But not, I wouldn't expect prices to drop anytime soon. Um, Jugmeet Singh continually going on about the profits that grocery retailers are making. How much of that fits into this, Sylvan? How much is just, you know, that's the product of the economy and the markets and the way things are going, and how much of it is profit? Yeah, those nasty grocers, eh? That's what you keep saying. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. A lot of people believe, actually, almost 80% of. Canadians actually believe that there's profiteering going on. We actually looked into financial statements of the industry, like for the top grocers. Yeah. And margins are anywhere between 2 to 4% steady in the last, uh, I'd say, in the last uh, five years. And so, yes, uh, profits are up. Uh, they've broken records, but it's money. 2% now doesn't look like 2% five years ago. So it's totally normal to actually see record sums of profit. So you got to be careful in terms of what, what, you, what number you look at. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but I do, I was actually in Ottawa testifying before the finance committee, and they did ask me a question about an investigation, which is suggested by the NDP. And I actually agree. I think it's, it would be appropriate to look into this because we do believe that something is going on 
up the food chain, not necessarily in retail. Oh, okay, okay. So that's interesting. Hey, while I've got you, I wanted to, there's a story that's going around today. It's primarily out of the United States. So I want to find out what the situation is in Canada, where up to 20%, they estimate, of food waste in the United States is because of food labels and people tossing things out when necessary, they don't necessarily have to. Uh, I guess the, the, the conversation is around best before, best buy, use before, all these sorts of things. In our country, do we have different kinds of labels? I think a lot of them just have a date on them, right? That's right. So we do have policies in place uh, for uh, perishable products, and uh, it's a, it's very similar to the United States. And yes, when you look at the literature, uh, best before that tend to push people to throw away food that is perfectly safe to eat. Uh, unopened food actually uh, can still be safe. Uh, some grocers in the UK uh, do suggest to use the sniff test in order to assess whether or not the product is safe to eat. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a big debate, and we actually looked into this this summer, and uh, you do question why people actually throw away food that is still safe to eat. Well, if we get so, if you see a best before date, that doesn't necessarily doesn't have anything after. to do with safety, right? That's right. It doesn't need. It doesn't mean bad after. That's the key thing here uh, that you can need to keep in mind. And uh, so, I certainly, if you're if you're healthy, if you don't have a compromised immune system, look at the package. I mean, it should be safe to eat. Uh, if not, I wouldn't take chances. Okay, so that's that's a guideline for freshness. Is there one that you shouldn't mess with? Like, I'm thinking milk or eggs. That date on there is that sort of okay. Once you've hit that date, you got to get rid of it. I, I I would have, I would actually follow the same rule. Yeah, okay. Yeah, the sniff test and, and look at the aesthetics, look at the package. If it's not open, uh, I, I'd say for eggs. Well, you got to be careful with eggs, though, and uh, of course seafood and and things that cannot be uh, open. I guess you got to be a bit more careful. Uh, but say, for example, you buy a carton of milk and it's not open. Yeah. Five days later, chances are it's still good. It's it's still safe. Five days later. Hey. Okay. All right. Uh, interesting. So right now that is going on is that there is abuse in the system. You actually have best before dates on honey, sugar, and salt, and you can actually eat those things a hundred years from now and still safe. So there's, and that's why consumers are kind of hardwired to think that this is a hard line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it isn't. It's not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, Doc, thanks so much for your time today. I appreciate you joining us. My pleasure. Take care. Uh, Dr. Sylvain Charlebois, who is a professor and director at the Agri-Food Analytics Lab at Dalhousie. And this is a big story, and it's going to be something we hear more and more about because a lot of different countries, companies, uh, are starting to push back on these best-before labels that we see. Best-before typically means best it'll be fresh until this date. It doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the safety of whatever it is in that package. And he's right. Uh, in the UK, um, a lot of people are pushing back and saying, you know what, you don't need the best before date anymore. Um, canned goods and many other packaged foods can be safely eaten for years after their best before date. The FB, FDA suggests consumers look for changes in color, consistency, or texture to determine if foods are all right to eat. Um this scientist says our bodies are very well equipped to recognize the signs of decay when food is past its edible point. We've lost trust in those senses and we've replaced it with trust in these dates. And as Sylvain said, some UK grocery chains are actively encouraging their customers to use their senses.
Morrison's, a chain in the UK, has removed use-by dates from most store brand milk in January and put it in with a best before label. Co-op, another grocery chain, did the same thing with yogurts, saying, hey, give it the old sniff test. <laughs> that seems dangerous to me, but I mean, that's, it's a good way of telling, especially when it comes to some things. Like you can tell, right? When you just give milk a sniff, you know, okay, that milk's no good anymore. You don't need the date. British politics is usually pretty safe. Um, now, Liz Truss has been Prime Minister of the UK for, well, not even a full month yet. Uh, and already she's had a heck of a ride. Here's a recent headline from the New York Times. How Liz Truss did so much damage in so few days. Uh, she decided on a massive tax cut in her first days, and that proved disastrous. The pound tanked to its lowest levels ever. Bank of England had to step in to prop up the economy. She's had to reverse course. Her party's fallen way behind in the polls. And she still might lose her jobs. It's uh, it's a mess. Okay, let's find out exactly how bad it is and if it can be saved. We're going to chat with Anthony Carey now, a former British commissioner to Canada and a fellow of the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. Anthony, thank you for joining us. I appreciate your time. It's very nice to be on your show, Steve. So, a tax cut. That that was the plan that Trust brought forward that went so wrong, right? It was basically a well, sweeping tax cut. I think I'd, I'd rather talk about stale food there. But, <laughs> uh, no, she, she did indeed. She she, she brought forward a, a huge uh, tax cut. But the problem with it was with it was that it was entirely unfunded. So she talked about how she was going to cut taxes. She was going to get rid of the, the high, high 45% rate of tax on, on income tax. She was going to get rid of all sorts of other taxes. She was going to not go ahead with the increase in national insurance and so on. But she said nothing about how she intended to fund all this. And as a result, the markets got very spooked about it because uh, they, they, we, were, we were already heavily indebted. And this was going to indebt us a good deal more. And as a result, there was a there was a run on the pound. The, the interest rate began to the the, the exchange rate began to collapse, uh, and in the end, the the, the interest the the markets began to dem- demand much higher interest for government gilt. And as you said, the government the Bank of England had to step in. Uh, so it's been a hugely expensive and difficult thing. But the, the underlying problem for Liz Truss is that is that she's not politically stable because she was she was elected by 81,000 conservatives, I mean, by a tiny, tiny internal process within the Conservative Party. And she doesn't have a majority support of her MPs, and she doesn't have any evidence of majority support in the country because there's been no election. Yeah, and I think, you know, that was pretty telling in her comments following this disastrous plan and the way, you know, the bank had to step in and everything. She's she's now billing herself and her government as... Um, a learning government that listens and learns from their mistakes. That's not a good look for any leader, especially after only a month in power to say we're learning from our mistakes and listening to the populace. So you don't want to be in that position. No, no I mean, certainly she's in a very unenviable position and, and a very, very difficult one. Uh, and I think she still has to face really the House of Commons because she had the the, the death of Her Majesty the Queen, so there was a long pause, and then we went into the party conference season, so the Parliament has been in recess, but now they'll be coming back with the end of the Conservative Party conference. I have to say that today she's had a reasonably good day. I mean, after after <laughs> weeks of, of disasters, she, she, she had her speech at the Conservative Party yeah. conference, and she gave a fairly confident speech. She, she, there were no pratfalls. She, she, it was, she kept it reasonably short. She handled hecklers well. 
So I think she's helped to settle nerves a little bit. I think people left the party conference a little bit reassured after after what looked as if it was total meltdown um, a couple of days ago, and people said, you know, she might have yeah. to resign uh, immediately. I, I, I think she's at least um, is going to be able to survive enough to see if she can get uh, her, her, her act together in, in, in the House of Commons. Okay, so she's bought herself some time. Where is her biggest threat? Is it internal? As you said, a lot of her, the MPs within the bar, she doesn't have unity there. Um, that's, of course, what happened to Boris Johnson. Is that where the biggest threat lies for Liz Truss, too? I think she has a, 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 a combined threat. One is internally, can she, can she carry her MPs with her? And secondly, can she convince the markets that, 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 her, her, that her plans make sense and add up? Because her big thing is growth, growth, growth. Mm-hmm. But the plan that she came out with, people, uh, the, the markets did not believe was going to generate that growth. And so she said, look, I can fund all these plans because we're going to grow so fast. But the market said, well, we're yet to be convinced that that is what would be the effect of these cuts. And, and so she has a double problem. She's got to persuade her MPs and she's got to persuade the markets. And, and her MPs... Uh, are going to be quite hard to persuade because in order to fund these tax cuts, uh, she's got to either cut welfare, and she has, I think, a majority of her MPs who, who think that their constituents wouldn't stand for that and, and, and uh, are going to oppose her on that, uh, or she's got to reinstate some of the earlier Tory intentions to raise, for example, corporation tax or to reintroduce the, the, the national insurance uh, uh, and so on. But she's made a big thing in her speech about how they're a low-tax party and she doesn't believe you know, she, she wants to give people the, the, their own money to decide how to spend it. She, she wants to reduce taxes. So right. it, that would be very difficult for her. Or she's going to have to fiddle the fiscal rules and, and say, for example, that when the uh, Organization for Budget Responsibility come out with their independent analysis, they've got to do it on the basis of five years rather than three inch, and, and a lot of the... Uh, promises to raise revenues will be at the end of that period and so on so she'll but, but that would i think the markets might then not be convinced because if she does it as a as a sort of fiddling of the rules then the, then the markets will will suck their teeth um and of course opposition mps uh, and and you know some analysts calling for her to call call an election and, and get it over with is there any chance that she would do that she doesn't have a chance of winning that well that's the trouble i think i mean she she'll be not keen to call an election because she's in an extremely weak position. Yeah. So I think she would much rather see if she can ride out the storm and, and have the election in, in two years' time, which is when it has to be. And the Labour Party have just emerged from a very good conference. I mean, having had a, a series of, of, of very difficult conferences because they had a lot of internal dis, uh, uh, disputes themselves and, and fights between the sort of Corbynites and the, and the Starmerites and so on. This time they had a very successful conference and, and Starmer is now feeling much more confident about his position and his ability to, to, to manage his party. So I think that's another reason why the Conservatives wouldn't want to have Wouldn't want to do it, yeah. Uh, Mr. Kerry, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Always an interesting conversation about British politics, that's for sure. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favourite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. 
<laughs> For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.